once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Do you have a sense of place about where you live or work? Our connected lives allow us to interact with people all over the world and in some ways reduced our connections with our closest neighbors. What is a proper sense of place and how does it relate to the gospel? Teaching team member Bob Cargo brings us this message entitled, A Theology of Place, Following Jesus into Your City. Thank you for joining us today. If you've been around here uh, for years, uh, you probably, if you've heard me preach before, figured out if you hear enough sermons that I'm, I'm a fan of music and I have a very eclectic taste in music. I, I love almost all genres of music, but there is one genre of music that I probably have underappreciated through the years, and that is contemporary country, okay? Uh, Americana, the old stuff, give me Johnny Cash, but you know, maybe the new stuff I'm not so excited about. However, my wife is a fan of contemporary uh, country music, and so that's sort of pulled me in that direction. And I will have to admit that people like Blake Shelton make it uh, fun and uh, exciting. He's a great personality. And I also have to admit that almost every country song tells a great story. Isn't that true? I mean, you've probably heard it before that if you play a country song backwards, though, you know, you get your girl back, you get your dog back, you get your truck back, because they're all about losing, you know, all those things. What other genre of music can you sing about losing your dog? Just country music, that's it. But one of the songs that she introduced me to uh, that can be a tearjerker is a song by Miranda Lambert called The House That Built Me. And the story of the song is of this young lady who comes back to the house where she grew up. And she knocks on the door and basically says, you don't know me from Adam, but I grew up here. And I'm just wondering, can I come back in? and walk around for a little bit. And the chorus of the song says this, I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself if I could just come in, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. Well, there are a lot of different reasons that that song was a hit. But I think one of the reasons is this. In our hearts, there is a theology of place. In our hearts, there is a theology of place. In other words, there is a human hunger for a place where we are loved by other people and we love them. There is a human hunger for a place where we count and where we belong and we know that what we do makes a difference. There's a hunger for placeness in our lives. Someone as well said that a place is a space that has become meaningful because of relationships and meaningful activities and meaningful work, but especially relationships. And God has called us, because we're in his image, to be placemakers. And I'm not just talking about homes. I'm talking about communities, and I'm talking about cities. We seek to have cities and communities in which we find a sense of place. You know, city developers and city planners and real estate people, they understand this intuitively. They know that we're looking for a sense of place in our lives. In fact, as part of their job, if they're doing it right, I think that they take an open space and they turn it into a place of human flourishing. But if you look at the AJC and at at even our local Johns Creek Herald, you're going to see examples of this. Just a week or two ago, the headline of the Johns Creek Herald said, Mayor asks support for city center. 
Now, why is he wanting us to build a city center in Johns Creek? It's because a lot of us here, and I'm one of those people, we want Johns Creek to feel like a place, not just a a labyrinth of roads and highways and one strip shopping place after another that all seem to have a mattress store and a nail store. I don't know how that many stay in business. I really don't. Every one of them have a nail place and a mattress place. That's what Johns Creek is all about. Nails and mattresses. Well, why does he want a city center? He'd like to have a place in which we can feel like, hey, this is, this is downtown Johns Creek. We have a sense of place here. We belong. If you look at the paper, you'll see it over and over again. In the AJC a couple of weeks ago, uh, it said uh, something like, uh, Kennesaw Project will anchor city. The next day in the AJC, articles about similar initiatives, suburban city centers in Swanee and Lawrenceville and other places. And twice in this last week, the AJC carried articles about the Beltline Project in downtown Atlanta. Why is that going on? Because people want to have a sense of placeness even down in the city. Now, what is up? What is up is this. Our hearts tell us that places should matter. Our hearts tell us that places should matter. And we want to live in a place in which we know other people and they know us. And we love them and they love us. And there's a sense of rootedness here. But modern and postmodern culture is telling us something different. And I don't want you to miss this. Sociologists have observed that the result of modernity and postmodernity and of the, the emergence of global cities like Atlanta is this. That places don't matter, only activities matter. Places don't matter, only activities matter. So, you live in a house, but it doesn't matter where the house is. You go to an office, but it doesn't matter where the office is. You go to a church, and it doesn't really matter where the church is. It doesn't matter to you, and in your own mind and heart, the house is not connected to the city. And the office is not connected to the city, and the church may not be connected to the city. And they're not connected to one another. And then we live lives of isolation and shallow relationships. And we wish we had roots. There may be more than a few of us who live here in Metro Atlanta, and we keep going back to where we went to college or where we grew up or something else. And part of that going back is not only taking care of relationships and family and other things. Sometimes it's that yearning to have a sense of place. But God is calling us to create a sense of place here, too. The problem is huge and it's profound. A guy named Zygmunt Bauman, you got to love a name like that, don't you? Zygmunt Bauman is a Polish sociologist of Jewish descent who lives in Great Britain, and he's written a lot about modernity and post-modernity, and he's especially written about postmodern consumerism. That would be a fascinating topic. And Zygmunt Bauman has said this, post-modernity has made us vagabonds, a pilgrim without a destination, a nomad without an itinerary. Sociologists tell us that in today's world, a lack of rootedness is a dehumanizing uh, process. It has a dehumanizing effect that there is a lack of rootedness in our lives. And perhaps that explains some of the crazy crimes that we see committed today. Because people live lives that are unrooted and therefore dehumanizing to themselves and a dehumanizing difference to the place around them and, and of the people around them. The, the most modern temptation is this, that we go into our cities simply to be consumers. 
Whether it's the suburban city that's right down the road or whether it's the city of Atlanta, we only go to the city to be a consumer. We take without giving. We consume without serving. We're engaged in activities, but the relationships are utilitarian and there is no real commitment to a place. The way a lot of us live in suburban Atlanta looks like this. And I'm not saying this to throw a rock at you, but just to help you recognize what you're facing in a city like Atlanta. Your house is in Swanee. Your children go to school in Norcross or or Lawrenceville. Your church is in Johns Creek. The husband's office is in downtown Atlanta. And the wife works in Gainesville, Georgia. And in every one of those places, you're consuming commodities and services and products. But you don't really know any of those cities. You don't really love any of those cities. You're not praying for any of those cities. You're not serving any of those cities. You don't feel like you belong in any of those cities. And God has called us, I think, not to live that way. Now, let me say, that is the battle of the cargo family, too. We battle it like you battle it. But God calls us to battle against it and do something different. How different was the experience in the life of the early Christians? In the late second century, there was a document that was written. Nobody's really sure who wrote it. But it's called the Letter to Diognetus. And in the Letter to Diognetus, this is what the author said. As the soul is to the body, so are the Christians to their city. Wow, stare at that for a moment. As the soul is to the body so are Christians to their city. These people follow Jesus into their city, so to speak. And they follow Jesus into their city and they serve their city so well and they love their city so well that even the unbelievers were saying, these people are the soul of our city. They take care of us and they love us, their lives morally, the way they serve the hurting and serve the poor, the way they have become important to us, they're the soul of our city. And so... To live lives that are fragmented and dehumanizing or through the deeds and words of the gospel to bless and love and serve our cities. That's the choice in front of us. The sermon today very well could have been a part of the series on calling that David and I did not too long ago. And it's because of this, we're not only called to family and we're not only called to work, we're not only called to the church and we're not only called to the world. But in my opinion, as much as is possible and whenever is possible, Those things, all of those things should focus on a place, a place, so that our lives pull together and there is a blessing to a place and an experience of a place. Now, that's not always possible. But when it is, and to the degree that it is, God calls us to be a servant of the place or the places where we live, where we worship, where we work, where we serve, and we don't go as Christians just to be consumers. We go to be servants. We go to love. We go to see transformation. Today's message just has two main points. A theology of place in the scriptures and then a theology of place in our lives. Scriptures, our lives. Let's dig in. Follow along. First of all, a theology of place in the scriptures. We're going to do a flyover from Genesis to Revelation in just a very few minutes. Where do we see a theology of place? Genesis 2.15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and take care of it. God put Adam and Eve in a place. There was a place. Genesis 4 says that placemaking continued to the next generation. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. 
Hebrews 11 talks about the beginning of the people of God, the call of Abraham. And in Hebrews 11, 8 says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, even though he didn't know where he was going. God's work in calling a church to himself was not just to redeem a people, but to put them in a place where they would flourish and where they would serve God. Psalm 122 refers to the city center of that place. I rejoice when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Your feet are standing in your gate. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, was it just the city of Jerusalem that God cared about? Was that the only place that mattered? No. God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh. For that city of the Assyrians, people that hated Israel, God wanted to bless that place. Later, the Israelites were taken away into captivity. And while in captivity, God gave this word through Jeremiah to the Israelites, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, even the city of Babylon. So that where the people of God are, the spirit of God is, it becomes a holy place. The New Testament continued this focus upon cities. In Luke 8, 1, it says about Jesus, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming the good news proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The Bible just records a few places where Jesus wept. One of those places was in Matthew eleven thirty seven, when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have wanted to gather you together to myself, but you would not. And he wept over the city of Jerusalem. After Jesus died and was raised again, the gospel spread. And in the New Testament period, we see something very interesting. No longer is a holy place just a place like Jerusalem or Israel. A holy place is any place the gospel goes. Any place that the people of God go, and through their faith in Jesus, the gospel is activated, and that place becomes a holy place. The gospel starts to spread throughout the Mediterranean world, and how does that happen? It goes from city to city to city. There's a guy by the name of Joel Kotkin who has written a book simply entitled The City, and here's his observation. Christianity's rapid growth could not have taken place without the empire's expansive urban infrastructure. Paul, the primary architect of the faith, was himself a quintessential product of the Roman urban world. A Hellenized Jew and a Roman citizen from Tarsus, a major trade crossroads, Paul traveled the sea lanes and roads connecting various cities of the empire. And as the soul is to the body, Christians became to cities like this. Even at the times that it didn't seem like the gospel was being received well, God was at work in these places around the Mediterranean. He was at work in these cities. Acts 18 talks about Paul taking the gospel to the city of Corinth, that great city of Greece. In Romans 18, 9 and 10 tells us, a word of assurance to Paul, even though the gospel was really opposed in Corinth. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one's going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. God had a plan for the city of Corinth. And though some had come to believe, God could say to Paul, I have many people in this city. I want to bless it. Now, what am I trying to say to you today? What am I trying to say to me? Here is the big idea of today's message. You'll see it on the screen. Here it is. God calls us to follow Jesus into our city, Atlanta, and into the cities around Atlanta in which we live, work, play, are educated, fellowship, and worship. 
God calls us to partner with him in the redemption of nouns, people, places, and things with gospel deeds, including our work and gospel words. We are to love, serve, and bless the cities of Metro Atlanta. Now, because that's a mouthful, I want to read it again. And this time, let me ask you to read it out loud with me, please. Humor me with this. If you'll read it out loud, it'll help us all remember it. God calls us to follow Jesus into our city, Atlanta, and into the cities in which we live, work, play, or educated fellowship and worship. God calls us to partner with him in the redemption of nouns, people, places, and things, with gospel deeds, including our work, and gospel words. We are to love, serve, and bless the cities of Metro Atlanta. I love how our church planters, I think just about every one of them, they get this so much. Danny's wife, Kimberly, is writing. She's writing a book. She's working on a book. She writes blogs regularly. And this is the way Kimberly has put it. God has chosen to tabernacle or dwell among us so that he could tabernacle and dwell in us, but it doesn't stop there, so that we can tabernacle and dwell among those whom we serve. That is a theology of place. That is a theology of the city. That we would dwell among those to whom we are serving and to whom we are ministering. Because God has come to dwell among and in us. That's a theology of place, a theology of the city. I love the, the, the vision of Renovation Church, our daughter church in downtown Atlanta. Here's their vision statement. Notice what it says. To make Atlanta a great city for all people through a holistic gospel movement, making beautiful what is broken. Now, I want to leave that up for you a moment and have you look at it. Their vision is simply not to see people converted and live a good life and go to heaven. Their vision is to help make Atlanta a great city. There is city blessing, city service, city transformation for all people. That's believers and unbelievers. And for all people, meaning all races of people. And it happens through a holistic gospel movement that touches people, body, soul, and spirit. That's a redemption of a place, a redemption of a city called Atlanta, And it touches all the smaller cities that surround it. Now, how does this connect with the gospel, you may be wondering? It connects with the gospel this way. Jesus has died, according to the New Testament, to redeem all things, to make all the universe what it should be. And that means Jesus has died to bring this redemptive influence to our cities today. It also connects this way. The power to do this, the energy to do this, the humility to do this comes from the cross of Jesus. There's humility in the cross. There's power in the cross. And if we are blessed, it's because of the cross. And if we are a blessing to other people in any way, it's because of the cross. I like how Renovation Church connects this with the gospel. Notice how they describe what their vision is all about. They say this, and this is the last long thing I'll read to you until I get to the end of the sermon. Then I'll read you something else. It says, we are not a building but a people called together from all races, cultures, walks of life, and social classes to worship Jesus. We're not a religious institution or denomination, but are defined much more broadly. We are a family of broken, wounded, confused, and doubtful people transformed by the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross and is doing in the world. We are daily striving to be new ethnics, that is, not defined by being white or black or Asian or Hispanic, 
but a new ethnicity of God's people. We are daily striving to be new ethnics on a journey together, seeking the wholeness, completion, and meaning that we're, we, are, we have all longed for, which is revealed in Jesus and his sacrifice for sin. We are committed to the truths of the scriptures, to the heart of Jesus, and to daily dying to ourselves to follow Jesus more closely. We admit our fears, our faults, and our frailties, and we acknowledge that it is only through the grace of God and for his good pleasure that we are called to be his. I love that. That makes me excited. I will never, for me, I will never forget the time and place exactly where I was when this theology of place began to resonate in my heart and began to get it. I was in a chapel service at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Trinity Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois, where I was a graduate student. I went that day, as far as I remember, I don't remember who the speaker was, but the speaker happened to be Dr. Ray Bakke. And I heard Ray Bakke tell the story of leaving the Pacific Northwest and coming to Chicago and coming there first as a student, but then feeling called to stay there as an urban missionary and as an urban pastor. And I can tell you honestly, I had never heard a Christian leader express love for their city like I heard Ray Bakke express love for Chicago in all of its beauty and in all of its brokenness. He told of the sacrifices for him and his wife of moving into Chicago during the 1960s. He talked about, and moving, I should say, into the inner city of Chicago. He talked about the time in which he almost blew his house up and he was sent to the hospital after trying to light an old gas furnace in their old house. He talked about his wife breaking her foot, falling down the steps, the dilapidated steps of that same old house. They were there in Chicago when the city erupted in violence. The race riots of the 60s were raging at the time that they moved in. And so here was this white family living in a neighborhood not white. The secondary school closest to their home had 2,300 students from 54 nations, and those students were being educated in 11 different languages. There were 32 gangs that had turfed just their part of Chicago. Arson was very prevalent during those rioting days. Ray Bakke tells the story that in one year alone, 1,300 fires left 27 families of his own church homeless. And in spite of all that, Ray Bakke loved the city of Chicago and its brokenness. It was from Ray Bakke that I started hearing phrases like this. We live in an age of throwaway environments, but there is no throwaway real estate in God's creation. The earth is the Lord's and everyone in it. He said, wherever Christ is at work, that is a holy place. He said, only in Western thinking would we separate people in cities. In a Hebraic way of thinking, you would never separate people from their city. If you love the people, you love the city. He said, we cannot work in our city and minister there unless we love it. We love its architecture, its sewer system, its politics, its history, its traditions, its neighborhoods. If we're to serve there, we have to love it. He was the first one, I think, who said, the story of the Bible begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. And Ray Bakke asked God to give him a love for Chicago, and God did. And he touched the city deeply, and it was Ray Bakke who coined the phrase that we need to have a theology as big as the city. I want to tell you that day in the chapel, I can still remember exactly where I was sitting. It changed my life forever. I realized that in my ministry, I had cared about people, but I never cared for cities. Not really. 
I thought about my experience as a college student at Sanford University in Birmingham, and I led people to Christ, and I discipled them, and I even served the poor alongside some of those that I led to Christ. But I never once remember praying for Birmingham. I never once remember hoping that God would bless that city. My college could have been in any town, because in my mind, my college wasn't connected to that town. Not really. It was repeated in my youth ministry in Dothan, Alabama, and even here in Atlanta at Second Ponce to Leon Baptist Church in Buckhead. I ministered to individuals. I discipled them. I even took a van load of kids from Buckhead down to Grant Park every week to minister to the needy alongside an urban missionary. But I still don't ever remember praying for Atlanta or having a vision that God would do something that would bring shalom to this whole city. I was ministering to disassociated individuals just trying to get their souls saved. That was about as much as I saw. But what Ray Bakke said changed my life, and it led to, a few months later, a buddy and I who had gone through seminary together and had, who had befriended a guy named Bill who was a commodity trader there in, in Chicago. God was putting upon our hearts a sense of calling to plant a church in Chicago. And so we were wrestling through that, and we were praying about that, and one Late afternoon, one summer evening, we sat on a boat anchored off of the Oak Street Beach of Chicago, and as the sun set over the city and the city lights came up, we sensed, yes, God wants us to plant a church here in Lincoln Park. And we prayed not just for our little church, we prayed for Chicago. We prayed not just that we would have a few souls saved and a few people gathering for worship. We prayed that somehow this little vision of a new church might join together with other followers of Jesus in the city of Chicago would be blessed and would be served. My way of thinking was changed. It's part of what drew me to a church called Perimeter Church that had a vision to reach people all around the perimeter of Atlanta and why I felt called to plant an in-town congregation of that church and why we still plant churches today. There's a vision for a city and for every part of that city. Now, what does that look like in your life and mine? Where does the rubber meet the road for us in Perimeter Church today? I want you to see that our shepherding plan and our connect groups and our way of serving, it all fits together around this theology of place. Today, I really wanted to have, uh, in fact, Randy Schlichting and Chip Sweeney to join me on the stage and have a little conversation, but uh, Randy's already left for spring break, so we, we videotaped it. Randy is the leader of our shepherding ministry here at the church. And Chip Sweeney oversees all those ministries that focus on blessing Atlanta. And church planting is just one of about four or five areas that does that. So give your attention to the screen and listen to uh, how we're trying to put this into practice, this theology of place in Atlanta. Randy, Chip, thank you all so much for uh, being with me to help me with this message. Uh, Randy, let me start with a question to you. How does the theology of place connect with uh, our desire here in our church uh, for people to be shepherded and for people to connect with each other uh, for the sake of fellowship. I think really the theology of place kind of pr propelled us or promoted us to be able to think about what does it mean to really shepherd people. So five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, here we began to see these cities pop up. City of Johns Creek, City of Dunwoody, City of Norcross. And as we began to look at that, the idea was, now why is that happening now? It didn't happen before. And to begin to think through, the City of Johns Creek is here for a reason. It's not just a random event in the universe. So we began to think, you know, in Johns Creek, oddly, we have people. 
and we have elders. In Dunwoody, we have people, we have elders. And, and the idea was, what would it look like if we had our elders really thinking about shepherding people who live near them, as opposed to me shepherding someone who lives in Swanee? Maybe I get to know someone in my neighborhood. Maybe my wife does too. And we gather people together there for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of, of encouragement, for the sake of discipleship, and then to begin to think about what would it look like collectively if, if we began to impact the city that we live in? For a, for a regular member of Perimeter, if they want to connect with that way of being shepherded, uh, what do they need to do? How do they need to respond if an elder contacts them? Well, I hope they would respond positively and they'd say, hey, I'd love to meet you and greet you. It could be I'll meet you for coffee at, at church on Sunday. It could be we're having a gathering. It could be we're having a connect group in the area. A bunch of different ways that they could connect. But the idea is this. For every member in the church, they do have a shepherding elder. And it's a guy who can pray for them, encourage them, come alongside, maybe inform them as, as to what's happening at Perimeter. But someone in a large church like this that they can feel connected to, now, those who join the church now for the last three years, if you join the church at Perimeter, what happens is your shepherding elder will be the one to interview you. So if you lived in Dunwoody, Bob, and you were joining the church, I would be the one or one of the Dunwoody elders would actually shepherd you, do your membership interview, and then we would be connected to you from then until however long you live in Dunwoody. So what I hear you saying is uh, don't make it hard for your shepherd to shepherd you. Yes, exactly. P pick up the phone when he calls or if he emails you. And we've had, had some outliers, some people who just haven't done that. But we would say they are there to serve you, to bless you. To They're not going to ask you for money. They're not going to ask you to support their kid on a mission trip. They're going to ask you if they can pray for you. So it's a great thing to do. Okay. How do, do our new Connect groups connect with this whole theology of place? Well, the Connect groups primarily are by by area or by city. Because the whole idea is if I'm going to get together with people, you and Chip and I are going to get together. If we live in the same place, again, Dunwoody, Norcross, we can get together for dinners to do something. But if we're spread out, it's just harder to connect and to stay connected. So they really are, for the most part, geographically based. Uh, that's a great segue, Chip. Uh, tell us a little bit, how does the theology of place uh, interface with this whole idea of serving and living as missional people? Well, I think back when I was initially the J. Hyde director here in the late 90s and early 2000s, and God gave me a, a great heart for Atlanta and seeing Atlanta change for the kingdom. And so we started getting junior high students out serving in the community, making a difference. They really led the charge for us as a church. Uh, 2002, we ended up as a church really moving in, in that direction, adding community outreach and kind of adding the head or adding the hand to the head and heart, and actually moved to uh, Duluth as a family in 2002. And I remember uh, some conversations with Leanne and us as a family, what does that mean? It's not an accident that God moved us to Duluth, He's placed us there. Mm -hmm. And what would it look like for us as a family to, to really make an impact? Um, so getting to know our neighbors, we live right on a cul-de-sac, Started having parties, cul-de-sac parties, Super Bowl parties, just really building relationships. Um, as our kids got into the public schools, that was a, a natural way to, uh, to make a difference, to love and serve and bless through the PTA, through local school council, uh, mentoring and tutoring, uh, getting dads more involved in the school. And uh, so it's been a blessing. We've really seen a lot of neat things happen. 
What are some other things that maybe your family wasn't led of God to do, but other ideas that the way people could bless the city they live in, serve it, love it? Yeah. Well, I think of uh, where we work. Um, God cares about where we work. And I think about there's a, uh, a group of business men in Norcross right now who kind of have a vocation type group or um, a faith at work group. And they're meeting and praying and dialoguing about what does it look like to serve and bless, seek the shalom or the flourishing of the people where they work. And then even what does it look like for their company to do that in the city where they are, Norcross. Um, so again, so it's not just- these are all just business owners in Norcross. These are all uh, business owners or they're in companies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so it's not just where we live, right? It's where we work. It's where we are. And there's some amazing things going on in Norcross right now. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Chip. I appreciate your help with this. Okay, let me meddle just a moment. Let me ask you, is there really any connection in your heart, in your mind, between your home and the city in which your home is found? Do you love that city? Do you pray for that city? Are you seeking to serve that city? Or are you simply there to be a consumer because you found the right house at the right price. The place where your office is, is there any connection in your mind and heart between your office and the city where that office is located? Do you love that city? Are you praying for that city? Are you seeking to serve that city? Do you focus on the shalom of that city? And for all of us, probably the overwhelming majority here who live out here in the suburbs and perhaps we work out here as well, let me ask you this. Is there any connection in your heart and mind between our suburban cities and the city of Atlanta. The truth of the matter is, Johns Creek, Norcross, Swanee, Duluth, none of these cities would be what they are without the city of Atlanta. We are tethered to that city in every way imaginable. And unfortunately, the story of Christians in the 20th century is that we forsook the cities. And God is calling us as suburbanites to love our city, to serve our city, to take the gospel to our city, and even as we live lives out here, that we would not only love Norcross or Peachtree Corners or Alpharetta, but that we would love and serve Atlanta. Do we go to these cities simply as consumers? Where do you start with all this? Let me just give you one assignment. Pray daily for Atlanta and for the city in which you live. Just start praying. Pray daily for Atlanta and pray for the city in which you live and say, Lord, how do you want me to bring flourishing? How do you want me to bring shalom to this place where I live, where I work? That it would be a place of blessing. Uh, sociologists tell us it's so true. There's a dehumanizing effect of our lack of rootedness. And God calls us to be a part of the answer to that by the way we bless and serve our communities. We conclude with this, our ultimate hope for an ultimate place. Is all of this talk about a theology of places, is it totally about here and now? Well, it's not totally about now, but it is totally about here. And that answer may surprise you. Let me give you three passages of scripture as we close and I'll connect the dots. In Hebrews 11.10, it says of Abraham, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, Abraham was called to go to the promised land, but what he was really looking for was the city of God, the new Jerusalem. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Where is there? There is heaven. But the Bible says in Revelation that heaven is going to come to earth. 
So he goes to prepare the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And according to Revelation, someday that's going to come down here where we are. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, cleansed and purified by fire, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He did not say, I'm making new things. He said, I'm making everything new. And so the old earth is made new, and the old heavens are made new. And as one author has put it, heaven will be a place on earth. It's recently discovered a physicist who's also a theologian and a pastor, another British guy. And I love what he has said here. What a powerful thing for a physicist to say. He says, where will this new matter of this new world come from? I suppose it will come from the transformed matter of this present world. For God cares for all of his creation, and he must have a destiny for the universe beyond his death, just as he has a destiny for us beyond ours. That is why the empty tomb is so important. And let me note that the empty tomb is a huge part of the gospel. This is why the empty tomb is so important. Jesus' risen body is the transmuted and glorified form of his dead body. This tells us that in Christ there is a destiny for matter as well as for humanity. In fact, our destinies belong together precisely because humans are embodied beings. Now, that may be a little philosophical, but my friends, it is why matter matters. It is why places matter. And it is why the Great Commission is not only about the redemption of souls. It is about the redemption of places and things and whole people. If you would like to meet this creator and redeemer, you can do so today by putting your faith in his death on the cross and in his empty tomb. You can know him personally by yielding to him and repenting from sin and letting this crucified risen savior redeem you. You can then partner with him in the redemption of all things. And that my friends is a calling that will matter forever. Will people say of us, as the soul is to the body, so are Christians to our city, to Johns Creek, to Duluth, to Norcross, to Peachtree Corners, to Atlanta. I hope they will. And I hope we'll say, yes, God, use us that this city would be changed for the good of all people and the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we ask you that you would do something in us, that you might do something through us. Lord, thank you as Kimberly has written, that you came and tabernacled and dwelt among us so that by faith and repentance and trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you might tabernacle and dwell in us. But Lord, may we never stop it there. May we tabernacle and dwell among those to whom you have sent us to minister. May we love and live in and serve the cities where we work and live May we go there with the whole gospel for the whole person. And may Jesus be glorified. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.